The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Good morning. I'm Rob. If I haven't met you, I'm still Rob, either way. Um, (laughs) If I have met you... um, Yeah, so I'm excited to get to preach to you. I'm not the guy who preached the other morning. That's a different guy. That was Spencer. Totally different human beings. I'm way taller. He comes up to like hero me. And, uh, but I get to jump into the same passage. We're going to be back in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I mean, it's been so, so rich, so encouraging, uh, just sitting under the teaching of the word. Hopefully you've felt that. Hopefully there's been encouragement for you, uh, conviction, the Lord pointing out things in your life about how you're living or things that you're, you've believed that are not true and bringing it in conformity with his word. Uh, it's, it's how it's been for me. I've just been encouraged and challenged. And so, you know, the, the whole point of this passage that we've looked at is, okay, because Christ raised from the dead, like our resurrection is certain. Because Jesus died in our place, for our sins, according to the scriptures, just as it had been promised since the beginning, um, because he did that, and then he rose again, according to the scriptures, just like it was promised and pointed to and typified in the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament pointing to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, because of that, our resurrection is certain. Like, that is our hope. Our hope is that even though most of us, unless Jesus comes back during our life, like all of us will physically die. We will face death. But what he's saying is, man, our hope in that is that we will be resurrected, that that we will spend forever in the kingdom of God with Jesus in heaven. That, That is a certainty for us. And what he's been building to is, okay, because of that, we should live a certain way. And that's where we're going to get this morning. I want to go ahead and read the passage. It's, it's awesome. It's intense. It's uh, really in this passage, Paul is, he's mocking death. He's talking trash. It is. He's so certain that death has been defeated in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that he can mock it. That, oh yeah, okay, I know you're coming, but, but you ain't really got anything for me. You, you have no power over me. You won't be able to hold me because you couldn't hold Jesus. And I'm in Jesus, so he's mocking death. So listen to this. I'll pick up in verse uh, 54. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, he's saying, okay, like right now, like our physical bodies, like your physical body, it, it's under the curse of sin. And part of the curse of sin is that we will physically die. And so since you were born, like your body has been in the process of dying. It's corrupted by sin. And so there's all kinds of things that go wrong. Like there's a point in which we will die. The Bible says this. It says, hey, listen, it's appointed that a man wants to die and then to face judgment. It says this life is like a vapor. It's passing away. It's fleeting. It's short. There's a time limit that's been put on our lives because of sin. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and it has spread to all of us. We're all born into this. 
So he's saying our bodies are perishable, but because we're in Christ, we have to put on what's imperishable. We're gonna, this mortal is gonna put on immortality. And then he's, this is where he mocks death. He says, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I mean, you, where, where's your victory? Right? Like, there's oldest saying in human history, there's only two things that are certain, right? Death and taxes. Don't worry about taxes yet. They're coming. Don't worry. Like, but death is coming. And the Bible actually tells us in Hebrews chapter two, it says, okay, death is since the fall of mankind, since we, we bit into the lie that we could be our own God and we rebelled against God and that brought sin and death, death has become like Satan's greatest weapon against us. And it, it, it paints the picture that what Satan has done is he's used death to keep us enslaved to him through fear. And so what he does is he uses the fear of death to create all these false religions, to create false hope, to create false like meaning in life. And for some people that might mean like, well, there, there is no meaning because we're just going to die one day and there's nothing after that. So there's no meaning. Well, he'll use that fear to keep that person enslaved or somebody else. It's a, it's a false religion that offers some other path to paradise and he'll use the fear of death to keep him enslaved in that. And what the Bible teaches us is no, like that has been absolutely removed. Because Christ died in our place, rose again, he defeated death, like that power is removed completely. Death cannot hold you, right? It couldn't hold Jesus. Jesus said this, he said, listen, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it back up. That Jesus goes to the cross and what we heard last night, man, it, was, it was beautiful and powerful. And John's unpacking, what does it mean that Jesus died for our sin? He went to the cross and God the Father saw Jesus as guilty of our sin. In his grace, in his mercy, God punished the son in our place. He saw Jesus as if he was guilty of all of our sin and he poured out his wrath. He poured out hell on Jesus, on his son, and it killed him. Jesus dies under the weight of sin and guilt in God's holy wrath. And Jesus is swallowed up by death. But from the belly of death, Jesus poisons death. He kills death. He undoes death. Death couldn't hold him. Why? He is God. He's God. He's creator. He is life. And he rips out of death, rises again. It's one of the most powerful things. And like earlier in this chapter, it's awesome. He, he's, he's saying, 
Paul who wrote this, he's going, hey, listen, man, Jesus rose again just like the Bible predicted, and then he was seen. He was seen by Peter and James and John and all the disciples, and then even like at one point he was seen by like 500 people at, some, at the same time, and when Paul was writing this letter, he's like, and you could go talk to those jokers right now. Go talk to them. These are people who knew Jesus in his ministry, saw him die, and then saw him after his resurrection. And here's the greatest proof of that is that they're so convinced. They're so convinced that Jesus came back from the dead because they saw him alive again that they were willing to die for that message. Pause and think about this. Like Peter, not only what, what, what history tells us, is not only did Peter die for the message that Jesus rose again, but Peter watched his wife be killed. And all he had to do is say, you know what, we made it up. We made it up. Just kidding. We're trying to profit off a new religion. You, you got us. Listen, don't, don't kill my wife. Don't kill me. If, if Peter hadn't seen the risen Jesus, why in the world would he die for that message? Not just Peter, but all those guys. They were saying, okay, no, I'm not gonna quit telling people that Jesus rose from the dead because he did and that is everybody's hope because we're all gonna die and the only way not to be held by death forever is to believe in Jesus. And so I won't shut up. They were willing to suffer and die for this message because they had seen it. And so for us, like, this is the good news. This is the hope is that you, like one day you will physically die unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, you will physically die. But death for you is not the end. It doesn't have the final word. It's a defeated enemy. One pastor said this way. He said, for the believer, death is just like this paper thin door. It's paper thin doorway. And we're gonna pass from this life directly through it into glory, into the kingdom of Jesus, into paradise, into heaven. Death's undone. It's crazy. Uh, Brody, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks ago, he sent this video, this guy, and I was studying for this session and I was like, oh man, I'm using that. It's this guy, his name's uh, Brian Johnson, uh, super unique, uncommon name, Brian Johnson. And this dude is, he's a multi, multi-millionaire. He, he started a company kind of like Venmo um, and then like PayPal like bought his company and just incorporated it. So he starts this tech company and they pay him $800 million for it. That is so many dollars. Like, like, like you could, like this room could hold it, but it would be impressive to see like 800 million $1 bills filling this building. That's a lot of money. And so now he's got some time on his hands. And, and here, I feel bad for him, but I also like, I can't help but to make fun of him because he's got all that money, $800 million, set, but he, he, he goes into depression and alcoholism because it turns out like, like we weren't created just to like live comfortable lives and entertain ourselves to death. And so he goes into depression and 
Well, he, and this is the conclusion he comes to is like, life's really meaningless unless I can figure out how to defeat death. And so this guy decides to dedicate his time, his energy, and all of his resources to figuring out how to reverse the aging process. So it's not a joke. This guy is spending, I think it's like, it's like $2 million a week. And he's got a team of doc, <laughs> doctors and health professionals that put him through this strict, strict super strict regimen of like uh, diet and vitamins and exercise. And they do all these tests. They're trying to reverse the aging process. And so like he gets up at like 4.30 in the morning. He eats all of his meals before 11 which are really just, he's taking, bro- <laughs> he's taking broccoli, cauliflower, and mushrooms, putting that in a blender, drinking it, and that is one of his meals. Yes, to which I think, I will die a slow death by ribeye, a hundred lives over, like, bring it on. <laughs> and, but but he, he, like, this is his hope. And he's convinced, like you watch these interviews and he's like, we will, we'll eventually figure out how to stop death. He's like, people are going to, like he calls his plan blueprint because he wants all of humanity to follow his plan and not dying. But it's crazy. It's so superficial and empty and meaningless to the point where he's not getting enough calories and he doesn't eat any meat, which is just wild. And so like he's but he wants to look healthy. So one thing he does is he has these laser, he gets this laser treatment on his face to like make sure he doesn't get wrinkles and to give himself a, what he says, like a youthful glow, which is also something a man shouldn't say about his own face. And, and then, but he, he's lost all this weight. And so he's literally having other people donate fat to which I would gladly donate for any amount of millions of dollars. And, and he's inject. this is crazy. Don't feel bad about laughing at this guy. He's injecting other people's fat into his face. Not normal. And I think he's doing all this stuff. And he's, I, 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 like, I'm, I'm cynical. But all I can think is that his doctors, like, leave his house. And they're like, can you believe it? We told him he's got the, like, heart rate of an 18-year-old. And he believed us. And then we injected fat from your belly into his face. Let's go. Let's go spend a million dollars. Like, I guess I just think, and I, and I mean, at some point, because the Bible says this, it's appointed unto man who wants to die. He's not going to undo death. I don't care how much broccoli he drinks. Like at some point he's going to walk outside and something stupid is going to happen. Like a piece of an airplane is going to fall off and he's going to be like, well, I got to get the mail. And like, bam, head crushed. You could have been eating ribeyes. Like, you know, like it's not going to work. But at some point, I, amen. But at some point, I think I could get there. Like, if I didn't have the hope of the gospel, death is terrifying. What happens? Where do we go? Like, am I going to be judged for my sin? Jesus, not through science, but God in his love for us, humbled himself became one of us, became a real human being. Why? So he wouldn't die? No, no, no. So he could die in our place so that even though we one day physically die, this mortal will put on immortality. 
what is right now perishable and I can't do anything about it. In fact, the, the Bible says you can't add one day to your life. It's appointed by a holy, sovereign God. There's nothing I can do to change it. But in Christ, man, I'm gonna put on immortality. Death won't hold me because I'm awesome and I, I, I figured it out. No, because Jesus is awesome. He went into death and by his death, he killed death to set us free so that we will spend all of eternity in his presence, worshiping him. And what he says next is this. That's not just a one day far off hope for old people. He says, man, it has everything to do with how you live today, how you live tomorrow. Listen to what he says. Verse 58. Therefore, because of this, because the sting of death has been removed, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. <laughs> the writer of Ecclesiastes is like, man, everything's empty. Everything's meaningless. He says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? Like that's the other extreme is not try to like so live discipline that you undo death. The other extreme is if death is coming, might as well live it up and live in the moment because everything's meaningless. Everything's vain. There's no point. And what the Bible is saying is, no, man, there's eternal value in each one of our lives. How you live, however many years the Lord gives you, how you live your life matters for all of eternity. He's saying because death won't hold you and you've got eternity with Jesus to look forward to, he says be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in Christ, your labor, your work, your energy, your time, your investments, your relationships, they're not meaningless. They're eternally valuable. So he says be steadfast, immovable. And what? Well, he knows this. He knows that, man, we're gonna be tempted to drift from the truth of the gospel. We're gonna be tempted to drift from like seeing that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is really what's most important. You go, okay, yeah, I know that's what's most important in the Bible, and that's what's most important like in religion. No, 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 no. It's what's most important in your life every day. Every day of our lives should center on this truth. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. That's everything. That's what's most important. But what he knows is like everything in this world is fighting to get your attention off of that truth and on to anything else, to prioritize anything else over and against that. And so he's saying, be steadfast in what you believe. Don't move away from it. Then there's gonna be people who wanna intimidate you and, and make Christianity sound stupid and like, how can you believe in that old religion and try to poke holes in what we believe? And he's saying, no, 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 you just keep preaching the gospel to yourself. You keep looking to Jesus. You keep listening to the truth of the gospel. You be immovable, be steadfast, plant your feet firmly right here. 
We're gonna be tempted just to, to do what we said a minute ago. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Live it up, live in the moment. Live for comfort, live for pleasure, live for riches, live for your own selfish desires. He says, no, 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 no. That is meaningless. That is temporary. All, all that goes with that will burn up, will fade away, will be no more. Like, be steadfast and immovable in the reality of like, okay, only eternal things matter for eternity. That's why he says we should always abound in the work of the Lord. Well, what is that? Well, what, what's the only eternal thing? Like in this room, what are the only eternal things? Trick question. Our souls, thank you, and thank you for being brave. Or just wanting to be done with the awkward silence. Either way. Yeah, our souls, you, me, everyone around you, we are the only eternal things in this room. Pause and think about that. Everybody in here is gonna live forever. So he's like, man, invest in that. Give yourself to that. Abound in the work of the Lord. Man, that, I could just boil it down to two simple things. What does it mean to abound in the work of the Lord? What's that gonna look like? It's gonna look like, two things in your life. Man, love the church. Love the church. Love other believers. Encourage other believers. What the Bible tells us over and over and over again is we have to every day like remind each other of this truth. This is what's real. Here's what's most important. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. That's our hope. We gotta remind ourselves of that every day. That's why it's so important that we're in a community. That's why it's so important that you go to church and that you just don't go to church. Listen to me, look at me. That you just don't go to church. Don't do that. Wait, let me clarify. Go to church, but don't just do that. Church is never meant to only be a place where you go and listen and then leave. Church is a body. It's a gathering of believers and we need one another. It's so easy to slide into where you go to church and you think, okay, I'm gonna go, other people are gonna sing, somebody's gonna preach, and if I'm not doing one of those things, I just consume and listen. That is wrong. The Bible is very clear. It teaches us this, that each one of us have been given gifts. When you came to Christ and he saved you and his spirit, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, when he came to live inside of you, he gave you a gift. And the point of the gift isn't for you to keep secret and keep safe and look at by yourself. Like he gave you a gift so that you could serve other believers with it to help encourage them so that they don't give up, so that they don't drift away from Jesus, so that they remain steadfast and immovable in the gospel. And so it actually tells us this, consider, in the, the book of Hebrews he says, consider think about strategically how to stir one another up to love and good works. It means this, like even when you go to church on Sunday, when you go to youth group on Wednesday, you should prepare for church just like your pastor does, just like your youth pastor does. You might not be preparing a 20 to 30 minute or looking more like a 30 minute lesson You might not be doing that, but what you should be doing is thinking strategically about who's gonna be there and how can I encourage them in their walk with Jesus? We all have that responsibility. Did you know that? 
And God's given each one of you a unique gift to serve the body. So he says, be steadfast and movable. Don't drift away from the gospel. Abound in the work of the Lord. In part, what that means is love other believers well, help them persevere, endure faithfully in the gospel to the end of their lives. And the second part is this. And love the lost with the gospel. Love the lost, people who don't know Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who make fun of Jesus, people who hate you because you do believe in Jesus and try to obey his word and hold fast to his standards and his values. Love those people with the gospel. Love those people enough to not care what they say or think about you or what they might even do to you, but love them enough to serve them and to open your mouth and tell them the hope that we have celebrated all weekend long. Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again so that death doesn't have to hold you, so that you can be forgiven of your sins. Let's live for that. Let's abound in that. That's not empty or meaningless. Why? Because everyone's gonna live forever somewhere. Everyone you interact with is an eternal soul. And the hope of the gospel is the only hope, but listen to me, look at me, it's a certain hope. It's a real hope. Jesus really raised again, rose again from the dead so that our resurrection is certain. Our eternity is settled. So let's be about the business of making sure that everyone we come in contact with, everyone we're in relationship with, everyone the Lord would give us opportunity to share the gospel with, that we're abounding in that work, that we're being faithful. Now, what, a, what a cool thought, what a cool thought that God would use you to talk to somebody who's gonna live forever and right now is dead in their sins, right now is under the wrath of God and that you could just open your mouth and tell them who Jesus is, why you believe in him, what he's done in your life and God would use you to quicken their soul, to use the message of the gospel delivered through you to open their eyes to the truth of Jesus and that he would rescue them and save them and that they would spend forever with us celebrating Jesus in heaven. That's a cool thought. It's a reality. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. And he's saying, okay, Jesus rose. That's what's real. Everything else is passing away. So abound in this and love the church. Tell the lost. Tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.